Hello and welcome to Matchroom Boxing's brand new podcast, Flash Knockdown, a weekly podcast where we'll be discussing the latest goings on in the boxing world and having some fun along the way with some very, very special guests. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, and I'm delighted to say this week we'll be catching up with Michael McKinson, who is, of course, preparing stateside for his rescheduled clash with Virgil Ortiz. We'll also be joined by the legendary Jacob Stitch Duran. What a coup that is for week one. He talks the art of being a cut man. Tommy Coyle, he'll take a trip down memory lane. Ellie Scottney joins us to review the boxing world last week. And Darren Barker is first up in a weekly quiz, all of whom coming up in the next half hour or so in various segments throughout the show. Just before we do have a little look ahead as to what is coming up this week, let me introduce my matchroom colleague, Scott Hamilton. Scott, welcome. Jamie, pleasure to be here, mate. You've got your own show now. It's interesting because you are my boss and you're producing it as well. Mm, the tables have turned somewhat. <laughs> I think I'm going to call you producer Scott. That's not well. going to catch on. I think it will. I'm going to make the most of it. Well, I can edit it out if I want uh, to. You so. can't tell me off on the air, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how we get on. At matchroom, we're of course returning to the sunny Steel City. Dalton Smith finally getting his shot at the vacant British super lightweight title against local rival Sam O'Mason. Elsewhere on that card, following their first meeting early this year, Sandy Ryan looking to exact revenge over Erica Farias in what was a hugely, hugely important fight for her career at such an early stage. The Romford Ball, great to see him back. We're expecting over 800 of his faithful fans to make the trip north to Sheffield. He's, of course, back in action, having recovered from a hand injury sustained last time out. Big punching cruiserweight Jordan Thompson. He's been catching the eye for the last few outings. He meets Vasil Dutsar, who, remember, toughed out 10 dogged hard rounds with Chris Billum-Smith last year. So that's an interesting test for Troublesome. Elsewhere on that card, Hopi Price, Campbell Hatton, Akeep Fiaz, Kieran Conway, many more, all in action live on DAZN this Saturday night as part of Matchroom's Next Gen series. Plus... There's a return to action for Michael Conlon in Belfast as well. Great to see Mick back in the ring. Everyone at Matram certainly wishes him all the very best. And of course, our man, Michael McKinson, looks to hand Virgil Ortiz the first defeat of his career live on the zone from Texas, somewhat five months on from the original date. Let's start by speaking to the 22-0 Pompey Problem, who joins us now. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Mikey now all the way from Texas. Mr. McKinson, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Fight week's finally here. Um, it's been a long time coming, but yeah, I feel good. When did you get over to the States? Uh, how's the, the body clock shaping up five sleeps out now? Yeah, I've I've been over here for about six days now. Um, still adjusting to the time, adjusting to the heat. Um, but yeah, all good. All good. That's why we wanted to come early. Um by, by fight night it'll all be good and in terms of uh, looking back Mikey I think what some five months on now from the original date we're all very disappointed you to lose the fight in the way that you did shout out to Golden Boy for getting you on that card in terms of when you look back now having a little dress rehearsal uh, is, is it left you in good stead do you think that you've already been out there to the States you've experienced it before and, and now it's almost like you're doing it for real this time yeah because um, the whole setup in in the States is a lot more intense than than it is back in the UK, but I know what to expect now. I've experienced it all before. Um, I'm excited to to experience um, fighting in Texas. Uh, I'm really grateful for getting the opportunity again. Um, so yeah, now I can't wait to do it. Mikey, just for the listeners, what is different about fighting in the US to the UK from what you went through last time out? Is it the commission? Is it the weigh-in? Is it the medical? Is it all of it? It's everything. Like last time when I fought um, in the States, I had to do the the 
uh, state medical. Um, that's a lot more intense. There's, there's stuff in the medicals that uh, obviously are not in the UK and stuff. So that was a whole new experience for me. Uh, even to down to the paperwork, there's a lot more paperwork and all stuff like that in the States. Everything, I think everything's just a little bit more intense than uh, back in the UK, um, which was good for me to experience it last time back in March. Now I know what to expect this week. Um, I'm not going to be shocked by anything. Um, I've got that experience. And yeah, now I just can't wait to, to get it done. I know you've got great, great support. Uh, at home in Portsmouth, Mikey. What's the response to you having this rescheduled fight with Virgil in play? Uh, have you got a few mates coming over making the long trip? Yeah, over the last year, my um, support has grown massively. Uh, my city really do get behind me. And, and you know, like, uh, I'm a role model in my town. You know, I'm doing big things for my city. Um, and and I feel very, very proud to be flying the flag for Portsmouth at the moment. So, uh so yeah, everything's good, um, and I've got I've got amazing support back home. I don't know if I'm going to have the travelling numbers like I did when I fought in LA, because we're in the middle of the summer holidays and it's quite expensive to get here. But um, I know back home the city are, are buzzing for me. And in terms of you know ring walking first, Virgil uh, Ortiz, a, a very avoided fighter. I think it's fair to say you deserve so much credit for taking this fight. Can we expect you to be in the ring first and? beckoning him to get in the ropes. You know, I think you've, your whole mindset and your approach to this fight has been different to what we've seen from his previous 18 opponents. Yeah, um, like he's, he, it'd be 51 weeks. Uh, we both fought on the same day last August when I fought at fight count. But yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm very, very excited for it. I've, I've prepared very well. Um, like this is obviously a huge test for me and it's me stepping up levels. But I really do believe this is a big test for Virgil. I'm, I'm the first undefeated fighter he would have stepped in the ring with. Um, so my mindset's a lot different. Everyone that he's fought has tasted defeat before. And everyone he's fought have kind of come with the same sort of game plan and the same way to fight him. I'm completely different to anyone he's fought. Um, and I've got my own. What is it about your own style, uh, your own approach, uh, once the opening bell rings, that you feel is a test for Virgil Ortiz that you feel perhaps he hasn't faced before? I'm not only am I an awkward southpaw, I'm also a right-handed southpaw. Um, I'm also a very, very smart southpaw, which I don't think I really get. People know me as an awkward southpaw, but I don't think I get enough credit for my boxing brain. Um, I'm on all sorts of problems for anyone. Now, my last three fights, I haven't been able to showcase what I've actually got because I've been on the front foot. I've been trying to force fights in my last three fights and. People that know me, I, w I want somebody to come and try and try and take my head off. That's how I perform better. So I'm excited for this. I respect Virgil, but I'm not in awe of him. Um, and, you know, like this isn't an impossible task. And if anyone can do it, it's definitely me. In terms of where this might lead you, do you believe if you win this fight, it has to be a world title shot next? Is that what you want? Yeah. Uh, very close to a world title. He, what's he, fourth on box rec and he's number one with a WBI and WBC. So after I beat Ortiz, I beat the man. I become the man. I can call the shots. I've never had luxuries of calling shots in my career and, and stuff like that. But I will become an overnight superstar. But I can just imagine my life change forever. Um, I can start calling the shots. I, I'll be positioned in line for a world title 
or if not huge, huge fights. And, you know, I've beaten the man then. I've beaten the man. I've become the man. And, and um, that yeah, and then my life will change forever. Well, Mikey, my man, I'm getting pumped up just listening to you. I cannot wait uh, to tune in and watch you do your thing on uh, this weekend. Just talk to me about your mates who, who might fancy a little flutter. You're a big underdog, like I say. I imagine when you get back to the pub in Portsmouth, if you're having a few celebratory beers, you might have a big line of your friends and people in Pompey uh, queuing up to buy you a pint, I think. I think I see it. The other week, it was seven to one. We love them odds. We love them odds. And uh, I know there's going to be a lot of people back back home. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll ever have to buy a drink in Port again. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Mike. We're going to let you go. I know you've got training uh, to take care of. Best of luck uh, with all the Fight Week events this week. And, of course, with the fight this weekend. Cannot wait to watch you do your thing, my man. And uh, thanks so much. We're all behind you, mate. And uh, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Brilliant, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, just finishing preparations and getting myself ready for Saturday. But yeah, nice speaking to you, boys. Talk awesome, Mikey. Mikey. Take care, mate. All the Cheers, best. Mate. Great to chat with Mikey. We're all very much behind him, of course. Big fight live on the zone this Saturday from Texas. Virgil Ortiz versus Michael McKinson. Do not miss that one. Jamie, just before we reminisce with our next guest, Tommy Cole, and look back over some of his career, I thought we'd actually reminisce about fight camp. It was on this day last year and the year before. We were cooped up about a mile down the road in a chain hotel here in Brentwood for fight camp. Great times looking back. Well, it's mad. Like Even every day when you pull into the office here uh, in Brentwood, Matram HQ, and you look over at the lawn, you see the fight camp flag still planted in the middle where the centre of the ring pretty much was. It doesn't feel like it all happened here. It's all... A bit of a bizarre blur experience looking back, I think. But very fun, actually. Obviously, we had great access for content. All the fighters were in the bubble scenario. So you was living, breathing, having breakfast, dinner with everyone. Well, they were bored, I think. So, I mean, I think I spent most of my evenings just knocking on every fighter's door and going in and watching them doing whatever they were doing. I remember John Dock playing Fortnite for about three hours. We were in there with him. I remember... Um, Dalton Smith who we're going to come on to talk about soon of course nearly burning the house down with I think he was cooking a bit of smoked salmon on a, yeah. a cheese toasty maker um, but when you when you do look back now it was bizarre and I think one of the highlights for me was the cricket definitely uh, it yeah. became a, a real focal point it did turn into to Butlins a little bit yeah you mentioned the fighters were bored we certainly weren't bored there was a lot going on um, for the staff cricket like you say was, was probably the, the most prominent activity that we, uh, we all got stuck involved with. And actually, one of my highlights was Gareth A. Davis bringing a cricket bat into the bubble, giving it Charlie Large, and getting bowled very first ball. Amazing. It's on, it's on camera as well. I think it is, actually. We need to show him that. We'll Remind to, him. Yeah. Did we ever release it? No. Oh, it might have been in the... Coogan put a video out, didn't they, of all of us playing? Yeah. Because I remember I had a hat-trick ball opportunity and I face-planted. We <laughs> <laughs> should move on from the cricket. This is obviously not a cricket podcast, but you never know. We might branch out in the future. In time. Uh, I think for me as well, when you do look back, Dillian White living in an RV, in a garden in Brentwood, Holiday Inn, Alexander Povetkin cutting around with all his entourage. Uh, my funniest memory is I think we were playing football and the ball went over a little containment fence which was surrounding Dillian's RV. And it was just like when you're a kid, you draw short straws, who's going over to, to, my to ball back, please. to get yeah. the ball back. None of us. None of us were brave enough to go and get the ball back off Dillian White, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> While Fart Camp was a year or two back, going back further, seven years ago this week, in fact, Tommy Coyle went up against Luke Campbell in what was dubbed the Rumble on the Humber. Boom, boom, Tommy Coyle joins us now to revisit and talk about that night in Hull, touch over some of the various wars during his 35 professional career, the great community work he's been doing outside the ring and how he's enjoyed retired life as well. 
Well, Tommy, you are our first guest to talk on our Ringside Reflections segment of this podcast, where we revisit a big fight on its anniversary, seven years ago today, the fight with Luke Campbell. Uh, does it feel like it's been seven years since that night, Tommy? Wow, seven years. No, it doesn't. Time certainly flies. I believe that was one element you were most excited about, right? Was Buffer coming over? Yeah, for somebody like me who's, you know, folks on small old shows kind of come up, you know, the hard way, if you like, to have Michael Buffer, you know, um, announce you into the ring. Yeah, it was it was an unbelievable experience. Yeah, certainly. You know, it's always a big fight, don't you? When when the main man Michael's in town. Yeah, it was uh, it was very very special. People still say to this day, they can't believe they had uh, Michael Buffer on Preston Road. Preston Road is <laughs> one of the, the the famous roads in in East Um And yeah, it's, it's quite an accolade, really. Let's just talk a little bit about the build up to that fight, then, Tommy. The the local rivalry. How much did you enjoy? being a part of it because that fight was massive for Hull at the time yeah we, listen we, we, we divided the city um, and the the actual talking about uh, titles of shows the, the show before that was called Divide and Conquer because if I came through that fight which I nearly didn't uh, which is the story of my career um, you know the, the fight wouldn't happen but I come through the fight I managed to stop mine getting in the seventh round and, um, you know, we, we divided the city, if you like. And heading into that fight with Luke Campbell, what was uh, what was the game plan in the camp? And, and perhaps on fight night, was there anything about Luke that, that did surprise you, you think? Do you know what? I, I sparred Luke a million times growing up as a kid. And I don't think I, I, don't think I ever want to spar. Um, you know, Luke was always a much more technical boxer. However, the professional game is very, very different to the amateur game. And Luke was still relatively early on in his professional career. Um, I was a little bit more weathered, if you like. And, you know, I've been in deeper water. And I genuinely thought I could have dragged him into deep water and um, and maybe stopped him or knocked him out or got him out of there. Um, but he was just too good, too skillful. He used his range. Um, used his skills and outboxed me and, and, and finally uh, the referee uh, stopped me. And yourself and Luke now, uh, we saw a picture on social media recently of both of you out enjoying a beer together. Um, can you call each other friends now? Is that a fair assessment? I think we were always friends, but what happens is when when you divide a city um, and you both agree to fight one another, you all have different circles of friends and then Old Chinese whispers start, and before you know it, he said this, he said that. It kind of gets back to you, and it just kind of creates a little bit of needle between between one another. But as soon as the fight was done, you know, we shook hands, and and that was it. The best man won on the night, and uh, you know, I said to Luke the I said the rounds are different these days. You know, we go out for a, a round of beers as opposed to around the left hooks and right hooks. <laughs> Do you think, Tommy, that's something that non-fighters like myself can never truly understand the respect that is formed when you do share the ring with another man, no matter what is said in the build-up, like you say? Well, you go back in, 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 in the olden days, that's how everything was settled. You look at the war in the world, things are agreed and things are settled through battle, through, through war, through fighting. Um, and, you know... And on the other side of it is respect. Um, and winners get respect. And I think if you lose in an appropriate way, you can also lose and get respect. And, and I do feel like throughout my career, you know, I was on the other end of um, 
you know, uh, losing the battle winning. And uh, I think I did come out of it with some respect because of the way I competed. Well, let's talk about some of those victories, uh, Tommy. The eight knockdown modern day classic with Daniel Brizuela, probably one of my favourite fights of all time to watch back. The early yeah. sensational knockout over Michael Katsidis. When you, you're having a beer now in your living room and, and you're having a bit of reflection, maybe over a, a nice glass of red wine, how fondly do you look back on, on those nights? I, I look back immensely proud, immensely proud that, um, you know, I got stuck in and, and where I come from in my life, where I come from uh, in terms of boxing ability, I, you know, I, I defied the odds. I ended up fighting at Madison Square Garden again, getting beat against Chris Algieri, but... I went from a little police station called Queen's Garden to Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, it's, it's an unbelievable journey, unbelievable story. And I'm, I'm immensely proud of that. I have no regrets. Um, I, I look back at, you know, even the defeats, what really, really hurt at the time, the Tyrone Nurse defeat, you know, the Luke Campbell defeat, the Chris Algieri defeat, and even the Derry Matthews defeat. I look back on all of them defeats with such fond memories. And I have no, you know, some people become a little bitter towards the sport when they finish, but I don't. I love the sport. I'm a fan of the sport. And I really, you know, Matt and Eddie really looked after me. I will say that. You know, they give me so many opportunities, probably more opportunities than my ability warranted. And uh, yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky. I was well looked after. I had loads of fun and I got paid for doing something I loved doing, which was having a fight. I had a million fights as a kid on car parks and I didn't get a penny from it. <laughs> we're talking about going from the car park, uh, Tommy. You mentioned Madison Square Garden. Obviously, we were there for the Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fight. What a place. What a place that is. How much did you enjoy just the whole experience of being out in New York and, and boxing at the mecca of boxing in MSG? That's it. MSG tops it off. But you know, for me, I look back on 2018, 2019, um, boxing at the, the TD Garden in Boston and, you know, just spending five weeks in, and, you know, a couple of weeks training camp out in Boston and out in New York. It was just a great time for me. Like, I've got some of my best ever memories being out there. Some of, I said, whenever we were in a training camp, it was just a giggle. We had such a laugh. And um, to go and have a laugh, you know, on the underground in New York and such. It was just, yeah, it was a great time to be alive. Yeah, just touching on Boston, Tommy, uh, I remember it very vividly, actually, coming in your changing room and you had all the sort of drawings and sort of crayon pictures that your, your kids had created for you. That was a real driving force for you when you, know, when you was wrapping up and preparing for that fight. Do you know what it was? Because I'm, I'm quite, um, you know, I'm quite spiritual, quite philosophical. Um, and for me, I, I got strength from my children. And if I'm totally honest, I got a lot of strength from my father, who's no longer here. And I always did it because I did everything I've done in my life, and I still do to this day, out of approval. I, I want to be, I always want my father's approval. And I guess I want my children's approval. I want them to one day maybe go on YouTube, and if they're ever going through something in their life, where they've got to dig down and, you know, bite down. And I say, come on, boys, you know, don't, don't quit, don't throw the towel in. You know, I'm not a hypocrite. I can say, well, your daddy's done it before. You know, you can go and have a look. He's there. I'm not, I'm not telling fibs. I'm not telling lies. 
So I just I believe in practicing what, what you preach. Don't expect someone to do something if you've never done it yourself. Yeah, for sure. And Tommy, you just mentioned uh, your, your father. Um, obviously, goes without saying our condolences are with you and the family following the loss of uh, your your father, Chris, Daddy Coyle, as he was affectionately known on the yeah. circuit. Um, he, he was always a, a burst of positive energy around fight weeks um, and a real bundle of laughs. And I'm sure fans would have seen social media videos down the years. There's a couple that spring to mind. I think my favourite was when he was hiding in the bathroom and you uh, you went through the door <laughs> and, and, caught him, uh, and caught him having a, a quick cigarette. But I think Carl Frampton, yeah. Carl Frampton, and summed it up beautifully, Tommy, when he said in a recent social media post, he was one of the best men I've ever met. He was, and he loved success. A lot of people, um, a lot of people become envious of success, but he really, really did love a winner, and he also loved, you know, somebody who was on the other side of winning as well. As long as they carried themselves well in defeat, he just loved success. He was a bundle of fun. And he was my hero, he really was. He taught me everything about life. He was just a great human being and you know, I I yeah, I miss him I miss him tremendously. I really, really do. The fruit stall, you know, the, the town centre, um, that that's still going. He, he passed away on the Saturday night at my house, um, in the garden and on Monday we, we set the fruit stall up because as he was always say, the show goes on. You know, if you stay in bed the only thing you're going to get is bed sores. He says you get up and you go to work, son. And one of your brothers, Tommy, Louis, um, was involved in helping set up the store yeah. that day. He's just been named captain of Hull City Football Club, which must be such a proud moment for the whole family. Uh, it is. It is. You know, and my other brother, Joe Coyle, he's a professional golfer, you know, on the Euro Pro. And we're just normal kids at the end of the day. And sport is only a real, real short window of your life. And you can't get your head too far in the clouds because, you know, one day it's all going to be over. And Louis was up with me, you know, we setting the stall up. And then as soon as 8 o'clock came, he went off to pre-season training. That, 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 that ethic, that mentality, that all comes from the boss, my dad. Tommy, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the amazing work you've been doing in the community over the last few years, be that helping out with school uniforms, free school uniforms, free meals for struggling families, uh, I believe looking at your socials, TC60 uh, is nearing its opening. That's something that's been in the years, uh, in the pipeline yeah. for a few years now. Can you tell us a little bit about that plug, that project, and, and how important your role in the community is? I opened a gym, a little backstreet gym in 2014 on Bean Street. And then it was just going to be a space where I could personal train when I finished boxing, just so I kind of the money that I did it and I put it into a gym, some equipment. And they'd be my tools to keep earning a few quid on one-to-ones or, you know, fitness classes or whatever. And it kind of took off. So I just think, you know, in life, if you can do good um, and, and and send the elevator back down for people what uh, are a bit hard up, then, then we should because it's just the right thing to do, I think. And it, and it helps me sleep on the night. It really does. Well, great words, Tommy. We're all very proud of you. Uh, loved watching your career. Love what you're doing now. I know your dad would be very proud of you as well. I tell you what, I would like to say though before I go, I'd like to say how proud I am of Matchroom. You just said there how proud you was of me, but how proud I am of Matchroom. You know, boxing at the Ice Arena, the zone and Matchroom are all around the world now, and it's like it's just mad how how they've taken over and, and, and really got them an offer. I appreciate the business. 
um, acumen that all the team have got. That I love business and I know what it takes to build a monster like Matchroom. So well done to you lot as well. Well, we appreciate that, Tommy. And as ever, you are always welcome at our shows, mate. Whenever you fancy coming down, um, it's always a ticket for I know you. that. And, oh. uh, yeah, I've probably to... been in rafters now, though. What? <laughs> Don't be silly. Not after that plug, mate. <laughs> You're front row, mate, after that, definitely. Um, Tommy, well, thanks so much you. for coming on, mate. Great man. Great to catch up. We look forward Pleasure. to seeing you continue with your work outside the ring and, and real best of luck with the new venture, mate. And best of luck to your brother and whole city this season as well. Some man, and we, uh, we'll thanks look forward so to seeing much. you soon. Cheers, Tommy, mate. Take care. Lots of love. Send my best to Eddie as well. Thank you. Well, nice one, mate. Goodbye. Cheers. Now, on Flash Knockdown, we're very keen to go beyond just the fighters, and each week we'll be speaking to someone inside boxing who can offer some different insight from the viewpoint of their unique role and responsibility within the sport. There are many, many different roles within the sport we love, very important roles that sometimes go underappreciated. And to tell us who we'll be speaking to next, let me hand you back over to producer Scott. Thanks, Jamie. I think this is going to be a really fun part of the show, actually. We're going to mix it up each week. We're going to scan the globe and speak to those inside the game with various roles, like you say. Uh, up first, I thought we'd start with a bang. We'd shoot our load early. We're going to go with the legendary Jacob Stitch Duran, hand rapper extraordinaire. But we're going to talk about cuts today. That's probably where he's more known, more renowned. You're not keen on the shoot load early. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Uh, he's obviously worked with some unbelievable talent down the years, the Klitschko brothers, Andre Ward, Tyson Fury, most recently KSI as well, which is a little bit random. So maybe we can touch on that. Also known for being in the UFC as well. So I don't think he needs much more of an introduction, really. So let's speak to Stitch. Okay, so what an absolute treat this is now. Jacob Stitch, Duran. Jacob, first of all, welcome to the show. Joining us from the West Coast. Uh, how are you? How's life? Life is as good as it could get, man. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. It's, uh, it's been a big pleasure. And, you know, Kevin Rooney called me. And, uh, of course, you know, he's been such a good guy. You guys have been such a good organization that uh, I have to come forward and uh, and be part of your show. Oh, brilliant. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, Jacob. I've got to ask about the nickname Stitch. Uh, when, where, how was that bestowed upon you? I think you probably find people forgetting your first name's Jacob, don't you, from time to time? Yeah, all the time. You know, it's funny because <laughs> it seems to be a, a name worldwide, right? But what happened is I used to have my school uh, school kickboxing, ASK, the American School of Kickboxing, and uh, one of the fighters I worked with was world champion Dennis Alexio. And his sparring partner, Dave Rooney, uh, they fought on the same card. And at that time, I was learning. I was a trainer. I was learning to make that transition into being a cut man. And uh, I, he ended up with a cut. And based on what I used to see these old boxing cut men do, they would cut pieces of tape and basically do a butterfly. So they would close up the cut. So I did that, and David Rooney says, oh, man, I don't have to go to the hospital to get stitches. I'm going to call you Stitch. You obviously uh, wrap hands to Stitch and have worked with so many great fighters from the very elite to the YouTube level. I just wonder, how much pride do you take when a fighter calls upon you for your services, no matter what level it is, if it's world championship boxing offer, is YouTube level like KSI, for example, how much pride do you take in, in giving them the same love? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's a big pleasure. And, and speaking of KSI, I was just talking to him. Uh, with a friend the other day, um, you know, we were talking about Jake Pauls and the reality shows, and and I mentioned how I worked with uh, uh, KSI and uh, how he transformed from I, mean, I think he was a rapper, or whatever he was, social media guy, transformed from there 
into at the end of his training here in Las Vegas and really turned to be a fighter, a boxer. So I, uh, like Michael B. Jordan in the movie Creed, I both, I crowned on both. I knighted on both as fighters because they, uh, they paid their dues. So, uh, yeah, to me, whenever they call me to, you know, whether it's a four round fight or whether it's a championship fight, uh, it, it, I take a lot of pride and honor in, uh, Take care of these guys. Yeah, I always say a four rounder deserves the same type of work as a world champion. And, you know, like four rounders and six rounders, uh, Jamie and Scott, I, I don't even charge these guys because I tell them, you know, I want you to understand the importance of having a good team, a good corner, you know. So these are kind of like how I always get back to the system. And in terms of then, Stitch, the key components to being a top level cuts man, what would you say those ingredients are? I guess. Composure, a steady hand. They must, uh, they must both be right up there. Yeah, composure is number one. You know, and and there's been times I'm always studying corners. You know, and and cut men. Everybody wants to be a cut man after they see what we do, right? But there's uh, there's so many faults that these guys do. But yeah, keeping your composure. Uh, yeah, uh, shaking it. The psychology. You know, psychology is something that uh, is is not taught. It's something that you have to understand what these fighters are going through. You know, and I'll give you a quick um, uh, uh, scenario is when Vladimir Klitschko fought Anthony Joshua, Wembley Stadium, 90,000 people worldwide, right? Um, I don't see Vladimir Vitali till the day uh, before the fight because my daughter Carla had gotten married on Wednesday in Crete, and then Thursday night I flew into London. So anyway, I'm talking to Vladimir, and I've been with him for eight years. He's the champion. But I understand that the night before, these guys can't sleep. So I, I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, look, don't worry about nothing tomorrow. I'm going to take care of you like you're my son. And I leave. And here I am. I'm putting the Vaseline on him right before Michael Buffer does the announcements. And he's eight inches away from my face. And he looks at me and says, you could call me son. Right? Man, that just kind of gave me chills. But I knew I had gotten into his head. And then he calls me after the fight. and hey, daddy. But then months later, I, I see him in Germany. And I ask him that simple question. Is Vladimir why? He says very simply, Stitch, there's very few people I trust with my life. You are one of them. You know, so I think I bring that to the table that a lot of people don't have. When you look back at your own career, though, up to this point, is there a particular cut that sticks out to you as perhaps being the worst that you've come across in your journey? <laughs> yeah, I got like 10 of them, man. <laughs> 15 of them. <laughs> you know, now there's, a, you know, it was funny. The uh, I just got a picture the other day of me hugging Forrest Griffin in the UFC when he got that big old nasty cut uh, on his forehead uh, when he fought Shogun. You know, that was uh, really a big, big fight. But my coming out fight uh, in Las Vegas was while Raul Marcus was, I think, the IBF uh, middleweight champion. He fought Keith Mullins. Raul Marcus ended up with uh, like five cuts and something like 70 stitches all together. And I kept him in the game and uh, he ended up defending his title and you know, people looked at me like, who is this guy? You know, but I had a lot of that experience in kickboxing. So when I moved to Vegas 28 years ago, I already had that under my belt. Uh, but there's, you know, there's been plenty. Vladimir Klitschko, when I worked his first fight with uh, Devero Williamson, he ended up with that same cut right in, in the forehead. And uh, I told him and Vitaly that he had a bad cut. I could control him because I've done him before, but I knew the chances of him winning, best chances of winning were right then and there. And I told him and Vitaly, and the magistrate couldn't hear, but I told him, I said, look, you're winning the fight. You got a bad cut. I'm going to have the doctor stop the fight. So when the doctor came in, uh, they asked, well, what do you think, Stitch? Because they know me, right? Well, I, I kind of pinched the cut open, and uh, 
anyway, they ended up stopping the fight, went to the scorecard, and he won the fight. And a month later, uh, Jay Nady, the referee, comes up to me and says, Stitch, he goes, did you do what I thought you did? Did you open up that cut in front of the doctor? I said, I did. He says, that was ingenious. <laughs> you know, Yeah, but, but I saw the doctor call me the next day and said, Stitch, I just talked to Emmanuel, and I just talked to Vlad- Emmanuel Stewart, and I just talked to Vladimir, and the plastic surgeon says that it was a good thing that you stopped the cut when you did because it was real close to an optical nerve and they would have created some uh, some damage. So, yeah, I did the right thing. Just finally then, Stitch, when you are watching a fight, I believe uh, Russ Amber actually came on and spoke to David Diamante and he said, look, when he's part of a team for that fight, he's part of that team, he's not afraid to, to give the referee his opinion at times as well. When you're watching on from ringside, are you watching how the fight's playing out or are you just extremely focused on any cuts or niggles opening up on a fighter's face. How, what, what's the fight look like through Stitch Duran's eyes? Yeah, you know, my whole focus throughout that whole fight, that's a good question, is is it face? You know, and, uh, um, but but I'm also looking at who's winning the fight. That example, Vladimir Crisco with Javero Williamson. But like Tyson Fury, when I worked with Tyson Fury the, the first time he fought uh, 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 Deontay Wilder, you know, I, I saw him in the gym. I walked in the gym, and he's on, on the stairs getting up into the ring. He's putting the shoes on. He stands up, shakes my hand, and says, thanks for coming on. And uh, But I sat, I sat with him, and I looked at the, 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 the cuts that he had and uh, told him that whoever sold him did a good job. And, and then I told him, I said, look, here's the way I operate. I don't wait, especially this type of fight with Deontay Wilder, where you know it's going to be a slugfest. I don't wait till you start swallowing. I always do preventing maintenance. So I'm going to keep ice on you every round. And uh, at the end of the fight, you know, he's just in his shorts and I'm ready to leave and I'm saying goodbye to him. And he gives me a kiss and says, thank, says, thank you for putting ice on my face. I love you. And those were our final words too. You know, but I got into him. You know, little things like that make a big difference. Amazing. Well, Stitch, I could sit here and talk to you all day. Really, really fascinating to hear your insight in the sport. But I, I'm going to, you know, we are obviously coming out to Vegas in September 17th, so hopefully uh, we'll be able to catch you for a beer at some point stateside. Oh, yeah, I got, hey, man, I'm telling you, I've been blessed and it blows my mind, but I got more stories than anybody, you know, and, and working with so many great champions. And, and every day I just thank God that I'm, I'm that guy. Some man, absolute legend of the game, Jacob Stitch Duran. Thank you so much. Uh, for joining us, Top Man, and we'll catch up very soon, hopefully. We're moving on to a segment of the show now that we've called Dance Partners. On the face of it, quite simple. Let's see if that's the case with our next guest. We speak to a fighter who has had 15 or more fights in their professional career. They then get 30 seconds to name as many of their opponents as they can in that chosen time. As the weeks go on, we'll formulate a leaderboard in true Top Gear fashion, and the winner will receive a donation to give to a charity of their choice. Now, when we were searching for someone to take on the Dance Partners Challenge, the very first episode, we thought long and hard, a lot of sleepless nights here at Matram HQ, until a light bulb moment, we thought, let's go for the most accessible man we have at our disposal. It is, of course, former British, Commonwealth, European and IBF world middleweight champion turned master of the commentary desk. It's dazzling, Darren Barker. All right, mate. Darren, Welcome. You are partial to a Gary Neville-esque groan on the I can't help it. I can't help it. Where does that come from? Um, My plums. (laughs) (laughs) Deep within. I I just, uh, I'm a fan, aren't I? So I just, um, I get very excited. 
That one we just heard there. Let's hear that again, please, Scott. Oh! <laughs> Do you remember where that's oh, from? No. Is that, um, is that Dillian White? Absolutely. About 100 metres uh, to the left of us. Yeah. Is that your favourite one? I don't know if it's my favourite one. It's probably the most iconic. Left uppercut! Dillian White out! Joking aside, though, Darren, you are doing a great job. Clearly loving every minute of it as well. What it strikes me as, you're just very grateful you've been able to remain in the sport in the nature that you have done. It's a, it's a little bit like yourself. Um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be Eddie's first signing. You was my tea boy. Yep. So I have essentially given you this job. I want royalties moving forward. Well, Scott, I think, actually asked you, what's that runner like? He did. It's a weird little triangle here. Yeah. He did. In a weird sort of way. The three people speaking right now. Yeah. Do you know what, Dale? One thing I will say, you're always a nice bloke. You've not changed. From when I was the runner to now, I'm still just a glorified. That's why runner. I'm gutted. It didn't just prolong a little longer because you would have seen the real, real me. I took so much pride in getting you hot dogs running around the O2. But you know what? You used to do it at the worst time, just before the main event. I did it on purpose because I used to enjoy sneaking off my shift and going to find a. You was the best reason. runner because you used to always get me beer shots on the slide. <laughs> <laughs> now, Darren, you are actually popping into the office uh, to pick up your IBF belt. Yeah, I always thought before I worked in boxing as a non-fighter, that when a fighter wins a world title, it's the prized possession, that you sleep with it every night. But considering your belt has been lying behind my desk for the last six months, I gather it's not necessarily the case. It's weird. I just wanted to win a world title, but I've had Scott driving me mad, sending me photos of it. He's probably sent me about 10 photos. I was scared, Darren, that someone was going to pick it up and it would go walking. <laughs> so I was, it was in your best interest at heart. And my dad has been on my case. But it's, it's his belt. It's a belt. That's, that's all it is. Where does that belt normally live? My mum and dad's. On the wall? Sort of. In the cupboard? In the cupboard, yeah. But you can see it. It's like a glass little cabinet. It's a Darren Barker shrine. You are our first contestant on Dance Partners. You're going to hear a 30-second clock playing shortly. And in that time frame, you have to name as many previous opponents you've boxed as possible. You had 28 professional fights, so there's many names available to make a dent on the leaderboard as the first to take part in this. Then the winner, the one with the most... Correct answers at the end of the series will receive a donation uh, from us for their chosen charity. Dazzling Darren, Darren, Darren blimey, I've done a Michael Buffer there. I've done a Michael <laughs> Did Buffer. Did you bake me off? <laughs> Dazzling Darren Barker, you've been involved in many big nights, but I just wonder how are the nerves for this? Um, I've d as you were talking then, I was trying to think of the best way to approach this. Do I go back to front or start from the beginning? Um, well, I'm pleased to say you've got three seconds to make that decision because we're about to start. Three, two... One. Felix Sturm, Daniel Gill, Kerry Hope, Rotolo, Jason McKay, Darren McDermott, uh, Danny Butler, Hussein Osman, uh, uh, I said Danny Butler, uh, Howard Clark, uh, Andre Sorrell, uh, Lee, Lee Wicks, um, Afi Belsicum, uh, Domenico Spada, um, uh, Martinez, <laughs> that was that was poor. I don't think that was a bad effort. I think you've done pretty well there. We might need to go back over, but let me just have a little We're count up while you go. two have a, have a quick chat. We're going to have to go to the judges' scorecards here. Panic. Is that clock in the background? Yeah, that's the whole point. I think you've got 13. So you are top of the leaderboard. <laughs> top of the league. <laughs> to be fair. That's bad, though. 13 out of 28. Um, 30 seconds. You're not happy. Jamie's pulling a weird face. Oh, I thought you'd have been better than that, to be honest. We'll go, go back over that, actually. Who did so. he miss? Any notable names missed off? Well, I just got Martinez in there at the last mm, minute. Just. 
There's a few in there you missed off. Danny Thornton, I think you missed. Yeah, didn't say Danny Thornton. One that I was surprised you missed off was Paul Samuels. I don't think Paul he said. Paul Samuels, yeah. Dale, thanks very much for coming on. I've actually just been giving producer Scott some daggers across the table because we've had our first major controversy here on Dance Partner. Scott, I'm going to leave this to you to explain yourself. Well, I'm glad we've sort of flagged it now. Darren, I'm delighted to say you actually got 14 and not 13. So we're not trying to do you out of a number here. I know you're trying to stitch me up <laughs> because I'm a Chelsea fan and you're a Tottenham fan. Well, you know. That's what it is. <laughs> be sure to tune in to Design this weekend because who knows what groans we could be hearing from ringside from Mr. Barker himself. <laughs> well, to close the show today, we're going to chat through some shouts by you, the fans, in answer to our question, what was the best thing to happen in boxing last week? And I'm very happy, delighted, somewhat nervous, which I'll come on to explain <laughs> in a little second. Joining us today, the very highly skilled, highly talented Ellie Scottney, just like I said there, for a bit of clarity to, to the listeners, you have got a bit of previous for putting me in my place um, on camera. I remember at Wembley Arena, I think, was that after your debut? My second fight. Oh, second correct. fight. Gang was, fight, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah, uh, was it. You, you had a lot to say about my attire that night. And now ever since... <laughs> it's still not improved either. <laughs> no, it's a good thing you can't see I me. think you source it through lost property or something. One of the two... <laughs> I think, as Eddie would say, you slung me in PVA glue and threw me through a charity shop. I think that's probably how we describe my fashion sense. But uh, it's a good thing you can't see what I'm Thank you, Rob. Uh, Ellie, let's talk about uh, yourself. Good, good win last time out in what was a big step up for you. I know you were buzzing. I think you're starting to give yourself a little bit of credit now uh, for how good you are and how good you're going to be. How do you look back on that night at the O2 now? Yeah, for sure. I thought everyone can see I needed that performance. And um, yeah, I delivered it when when the pressure was on. So now it's moving on to you know bigger and better things. So I just got to keep improving. Well, just talk to us about that because you were very vocal in the ring, um, calling out a certain fighter. And I sound like a little ten year old, didn't I? Where you at? We'll let you off. <laughs> I think terrible. you're over excited. So we're going to throw to Scott now, who's going to throw some fan questions at us, and we can go over. So here is uh, producer Scott. That's not going to catch on, producer Scott. That's it. That's your name. <laughs> Right, so we took to our YouTube community um, yesterday and asked the question, what was the best thing to happen in boxing last week? Quite a few duplicate answers. So we're going to start off with Popper Chubby Chubby suggests the cancellation of the Jake Paul and Hasim Rackman Jr. fight. What a name. What a name, first of all. What, Hasim Rackman? <laughs> More Popper Chubby, <laughs> than I was referring to. Um, yeah, interesting. I must admit, I was actually quite looking forward to watching that fight. I like what you don't like about Jake Paul. Very Marmite character. Um Ellie, let me ask you the question. As a fighter, what's your opinion yeah. of uh, of Mr. Paul's involvement in the sport? Do you know what? As a fighter, probably because of what he's done with Serrano, I, I don't hate him. <laughs> I think he's uh, I think he's delivering. He's getting more eyes in the sport, which is, you know, bringing more money for everyone. But you say he's like Marmite. I think more people like Marmite than they do Jake Paul. So <laughs> he's an odd character, that's for sure. I'm going to put a fight out there for Jake Paul. If the WBC Go are looking on. to sort of put him in their rankings. What about a Bridgeweight fight with Alan Babich? Wow. That'd, be, that'd be carnage. Wow. That would... Who wins here? Babich. Babich in two. <laughs> Got back my boy. Yeah. I thought you were about All to... Right. I, I thought Scott was about to call him out there for a second. <laughs> I so did I. His voice started tipping. I probably am walking around at Bridger at the minute, to be fair. <laughs> you, you might make 205 with sweat out, wouldn't you? Just about, just about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ellie, let's talk about uh, the Bournemouth show. Uh, were you down there, I take it, uh, supporting Chris? Yes. What was, yeah, it, what was the, the atmosphere, the atmosphere. Like? Do you know what I was... It took me back a little bit, so God knows how he felt. It, it was special, and for someone like 
CBS, everyone's seen how he's, you know, he's been the underdog, come back, and he's really took everything he's driving. Yeah, no, it was a special night. Well, funny enough, that is the second shout from Pidge, who suggests the CBS and Chamberlain fight was the best thing to happen in boxing last week. Great fight. What a great it, fight. It was a crazy... From the, did you watch the second? Obviously, you watched the second round, but I said those three minutes just summed up that fight. It, it was, yeah, from Ed, the first to the last... Stuff. Real edge of your seat stuff. Oh, for sure. It was back and forth. And Chamberlain, you know, he showed a lot of heart. He, he's a, yeah, he was a true character in that fight too. And sticking with the theme of Bournemouth, Hunt the Hunted suggests Ben Whittaker's pro debut was the best thing to happen in boxing last week. He looked good. He looked good. I was impressed. Um, Ellie, you know Ben? Yes, yeah, I know Ben from the amateurs. He's a, he's a big character. Gonna, they're going to either love him or hate him, but everyone's going to watch him and he delivered. Uh, the last shout this week is from Paul Lee P underscore 1990, who suggests referee Steve Willis back on our screens for the Danny Garcia fight. What a guy. He loves his job. That guy loves his job, man. I, uh, the, the facial expressions crack me up. Have you, see, have you seen him early in the ring? Yeah, do you know? I, I, would, I don't know him by name, but I know him by the facial expressions he's He's generally buzzing to be in there. Um, take that how you want to, but yeah, he's yeah, he's a great character for boxing, and we need another ref like him, I think. Well, all the very best. I'm sure we'll be down to the gym in Leighton to see you very soon, and uh, look forward to catching up then. Choose your outfit wisely. Take care. <laughs> Cheers, you soon. Wow, what a great show to kick us off in this series. Big thanks to all our guests, Tommy Coyle, Darren Barker, Jacob Stitch, Duran, Ellie Scottney, and of course, Michael McKinson, who's in action a little later on after Dalton Smith hopefully becomes British champion this Saturday night in Sheffield. We'll be back next week on Flash Knockdown. Please like, subscribe and share. And of course, if you have any feedback, random shouts throughout the week for the best thing to happen in boxing, I would like to send in a question of your own and get your emails in to flashknockdown at matchroom.com. That's flashknockdown at matchroom.com and we'll be sure to bring them up on next week's show. I've been Jamie Ward and we'll see you all next week. Uh, 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 uh.